Trapcast Express. Tradcast Express, it's Wednesday, October 17th, 2018. You've really got to feel bad for Francis. He's tried everything he possibly can to prove to the semi-traditionalists that he is not the Pope of the Catholic Church, but to no avail. The frequent heresies and blasphemies, the contempt shown for our Lord and Our Lady, the claim that Christ made himself the devil, the assertion that sometimes God desires people to commit adultery, the candid admission that his ecumenism of blood may be heretical, his comment that God does not exist, the nonstop naturalism and indifferentism that emanate from his lips, his reduction of the gospel to the corporal works of mercy, his canonization of John Paul II and John XXIII as saints, the relentless attacks on rigid Christians, his repeated claim that faith without works is not true faith, his comment that he is the devil, his denial of hell, his declaration that the death penalty is per se contrary to the gospel, his use of a sorcerer's staff for a crozier at the opening mass of the youth synod, and on and on. All these are just not enough to convince the semi-trads. But now, the latest attempt to prove he's not the pope. He officially declared Paul VI to be a saint of the Catholic Church. Paul VI, Giovanni Battista Montini, or as we sometimes call him, Formaldehyde Paul. That's the apostate bishop who claimed to be pope from 1963 until 1978 and is the one individual most responsible for the wicked new church that the world has known since roughly the Second Vatican Council. The Vatican II Church is essentially the creation of Paul VI. His predecessor, John XXIII, had laid the groundwork, and after Paul's death in 1978, his successors developed and perfected it all, but he, Paul VI, is the one who really codified and properly instituted the whole thing. No wonder that he died the way he did on August 6, 1978. Biographer Peter Heblethwaite writes about that day in his 1993 book, Paul VI, the First Modern Pope, quote, As Mass ends, Paul has a massive heart attack. It is as though he had exploded from within. Reverend John McGee thinks he would have been thrown out of bed had his hand not been held, unquote. As his body was transported from the papal summer residence at Castel Gandolfo to the Vatican, Paul VI's body started decomposing very rapidly. So much so that his body had to be injected with more formaldehyde because his rotting corpse stunk so badly that they couldn't have held the funeral otherwise. As he was lying in state in St. Peter's Basilica, his skin began to turn dark, and his odor of sanctity was so overwhelming that fans had to be installed to keep people from falling into ecstasy, if you know what I mean. Yes, this is part of the historical record, and we even bothered to purchase the rights to be allowed to display the full picture of his lying in state on our website, where one big fan is visible right in front of his body. You can read about and see that if you go to novusordowatch.org slash wire, that's our blog, and click on the post dated October 14th entitled, A Tribute to Paul VI. 
the supposed sainthood of Paul VI, now declared officially by Francis, is simply the latest definitive proof that Francis cannot be the Pope of the Catholic Church. The semi-traditionalists, realizing that and not wanting to admit that Francis is not a true Pope, of course have tried to find a way around this, so we are once again hearing from them, as we did years ago when John Paul II and John XXIII were canonized, that either canonizations are not infallible, or even if they are, they don't really mean anything other than that the canonized saint somehow made it to heaven, despite the sinful and scandalous life he may have led. This is the impious nonsense non sedevacanus traditionalists are forced to argue simply because they want to avoid the conclusion of sedevacantism. And so they believe that a church that can hold up an apostate destroyer of Catholicism, such as Paul VI, for the veneration and imitation of the faithful, that's not a problem and does not contradict the infallibility, authority, or even credibility of the church. They would rather hold that than to say that this blaspheming heretic Jorge Bergoglio, who goes by the stage name of Francis, is not the Pope of the Catholic Church. It simply defies belief. But while the semi-trads at the Remnant, 1 Peter 5, Catholic Family News, and wherever else will tell you that you don't have to believe Paul VI is a saint, the even bigger question for them is, is one allowed to consider him a saint? Is one allowed to venerate him, imitate him, and pray to him for intercession? And of course, for their position to be meaningful at all, they would have to say no, that that is not permitted either. But then they have an insurmountable problem because the person they insist is the vicar of Christ decreed the following three days ago, quote, for the honor of the Blessed Trinity, the exaltation of the Catholic faith, and the increase of the Christian life by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the holy apostles Peter and Paul and our own, after due deliberation and frequent prayer for divine assistance, and having sought the counsel of many of our brother bishops, we declare and define Blessed Paul the Sixth, and he uh, mentions six others, to be saints. And we enroll them among the saints, decreeing that they are to be venerated as such by the whole church, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Unquote. So then the question is, how can you say that not only is one not bound to, but one is not even allowed to hold that Paul VI is a saint and is to be venerated as one by the whole church? Remember, according to them, Francis is a true pope. And that would mean that the vicar of Christ, about whom Christ said, He who hears you hears me, in Luke 10.16, that the vicar of Christ just declared Giovanni Montini for the honor of the Holy Trinity, for the exaltation of the true faith, and by the authority of the holy apostles Peter and Paul to be a saint to be venerated by all Catholics. You can't just go in there and say, well, I disagree. If Francis is a true pope, then this is an infallible decree. The words alone show that. At the very least, it's authoritative and binding and not subject to review by your favorite columnist, blogger, lawyer, or even cleric. 
The papacy has consequences. To affirm that Francis is a true pope, you must affirm of him everything the church teaches about the pope. And not just mention his name in the mass and say a few prayers for him and put up a picture in the sacristy. Now, of course, the argument is made that these canonizations are not infallible or not authoritative or whatever because the vetting process for saints has been changed so much uh, since Vatican II and, and really watered down, and therefore it's no longer reliable. And Chris Ferrara just argued as much in his latest Fatima Perspectives column. The problem with that argument is that the infallibility or authority of the canonization of saints is not based upon the vetting process, no matter how good or bad it may be. It's based upon the infallibility and authority of the Catholic Church. No process, no matter how rigorous and thorough, will ever be infallible. What's infallible is the papal declaration. The same goes for the definition of a dogma. Before proclaiming a dogma, the Pope will commission all kinds of theological and historical research, and he will ask the Church to join him in prayer. But in the end, the dogmatic pronouncement is guaranteed by the infallibility that God has granted to his Pope and his Church. And so, just as the infallibility of the definitions of the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption, for example, is not rooted in the theological research done in preparation for them, neither is the infallibility of canonizations based on the vetting process, which is necessarily always liable to error because it is a human process. All right, let's move to something else here before we go. When Francis visited the Baltic states last month, as is his custom, he met with the Jesuits there and had a little question-and-answer session. Here's one of the things he said. Quote, What needs to be done today is to accompany the church in a deep spiritual renewal. I believe the Lord wants a change in the church. I have said many times that a perversion of the church today is clericalism. But 50 years ago, the Second Vatican Council said this clearly. The church is the people of God. Read number 12 of Lumen Gentium. I know that the Lord wants the council to make headway in the church. Historians tell us that it takes a hundred years for council to be applied. We are halfway there. So if you want to help me, do whatever it takes to move the council forward in the church, unquote. So that's it. What we need is more Vatican II, obviously. I mean, what else is there, right? And finally rid the church of that wicked perversion of clericalism, because Vatican II obviously trumps Christ's institution of the church as a hierarchy. So, finally, some good old renewal is in order. <laughs> Since the 1960s, they've been renewing the church nonstop. And now that they're looking at the mess they made, they're calling for renewal. Folks, they must think we're all idiots. But don't worry, uh, I'm pretty sure the Novus Ordo sect will not be around in 50 years. There, there's just no way. They don't reproduce, they don't attract vocations, they're the epitome of irrelevance in society, and they're filled to the brim with heresy, sacrilege, blasphemy, and moral corruption. And their solution to every problem is 
more Vatican II. Well, St. Paul VI would certainly be impressed. Tratcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch. Check us out at tratcast.org. And if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate.